0: Welcome to Anecdotes with Anne, with me, Anne Rimmer. When I select topics for this podcast, I try to tell stories that maybe people haven't heard before. But for the December episode, I felt it more appropriate to recount a familiar, well-tread story, like so many Christmas stories. And this is one of my favorites, not just because it's about Christmas, but because I think it has the power to talk about the best of humanity. They had been promised that the war would last six weeks, that they would be home before Christmas. They were told they would fight for a few weeks in Belgium and then return to their normal lives as clerks, taxi drivers, and teachers. Instead, it was December 24th, and they were sitting in a cold, wet, muddy trench. Much of Ypres was below sea level, and the trenches were cut through swampland. The walls were constantly dripping with moisture. The men slept standing because otherwise they risked sinking into the mud. Food was awful, as was overall sanitation. Rats and lice were abundant. Outside of the trenches was no man's land, filled with the bodies of fallen comrades, barbed wire, and bombshells. It wasn't supposed to have been like this. They were supposed to be home by Christmas. And the enemy was living through the same hell, 60 or 80 yards away. Exchanges between the two sides wasn't uncommon. They were close enough that they could toss each other rations or tobacco, hear each other's conversations. Under such conditions, spontaneous short truces weren't uncommon. On December 19, 1914, the Second Queen's Westminster Rifles saw German soldiers leaving their trenches unarmed, gesturing for the English to do the same. Together, they collected their wounded and helped each other bury their dead. Even in these dank conditions, both sides made preparations to celebrate Christmas, though. The Germans made special efforts to have Christmas trees in their trenches. The Saxons were purported as making every effort to ensure that their trees were decorated and lit with candles. Both sides were sent gifts from the home front. For the English, this included special tins of Cadbury chocolate, plum pudding, and tobacco. What is amazing about the 1914 Christmas truce is that it wasn't a single event It bubbled up from the soldiers spontaneously and repeatedly all along the trench lines as the two sides celebrated the Christmas holiday. The nature of the truce varied from unit to unit. Sometimes it was just a silent, informal agreement not to shoot at each other. Others just writing a sign wishing the enemy a Merry Christmas. In many cases, it included sharing Christmas traditions and bringing the two sides into peaceful contact. Obviously, religion played a vital role in bringing about the truces. In a ruined monastery in Messines, the 16th Bavarians and the British 7th Company celebrated a Christmas Eve service together. Major Spatling, a German officer, offered a prayer for their fallen comrades, and together they sang Stille Nacke. Perhaps more than religion, though, Christmas music was the important foundation for many of these interactions. There are countless stories of carols being sung across the trenches. The Herewith von Fittenfeld thirteen Westphalians spent Christmas eve going from company to company carrying a tree with lighted candles, singing Christmas carols to various British troops, who responded with carols of their own. In one interaction, a British officer, Lieutenant Edward Hulse, wrote his mother that his unit had planned to sing English songs to drown out the 15th Westphalians, who were apparently a musical bunch, and sang most nights. The Germans responded in good spirit, joining the Brits in singing, It's a long, long way to Tipperary. Together, the two sides sang far into the night, finishing with Old Lang Syne, which Hulse recounts was sung by English, Scot, Irish, Prussian, and Wittenberg alike. Occasionally, the exchange was more literal. Soldiers climbed out of their trenches to swap and trade chocolate, cigarettes, even knives and military insignia. In that spirit of gift-giving, on Christmas Eve, the Royal Flying Corps dropped a carefully wrapped pudding, soaked in brandy, to their counterparts in Lille. The Germans returned the favor with a gift of rum the next day. The truces could be very joyful. There are many stories of the two sides engaging in friendly football matches in no man's land. Frank Ray, a rifleman in the 10th Brigade, recounted their football match against the Germans on Christmas Eve. He said the match was arranged by a British soldier and a German soldier who were members of the same local football club in Liverpool. Other times the truce could be more somber. Major Thomas, a German officer who was on the other side of the shared concert, that Lieutenant Hulse described, recounted that on Christmas Day the two sides agreed to go into no man's land together to bury their dead. The Germans returned to Hulse a victorious cross medal and a letter they had found on the body of a dead officer who had fallen into their trench. It is no wonder that the soldiers called the Christmas Eve truce the wonderful day with the quiet absence of gunfire, the Christmas music, and shared camaraderie. These outbursts of peace show the degree to which the two sides held little animosity against each other. To a large extent, the war was about European anxiety that modern life was making their societies soft and weak. And despite all of the propaganda, few British or German soldiers saw their national interests fundamentally at risk. So why not share Christmas with the enemy? The irony was that the two sides were able to communicate because so many of the Germans had experience working in England and were fluent in English. As such, it was almost always the Germans who made the first gesture of peace. One Londoner in the Third Rifles had his hair cut by a German who had been his former barber in Holborn. More than anything else, the Christmas truce brought into relief the many religious, cultural and personal connections between the enemies tearing up the fields in Flanders. Few thought the truce would be long-lasting, and as Christmas Day came to a close, many men shook hands with their enemy, knowing that the next day they would be fighting for their respective countries. In a few cases, the truce lasted as long as two weeks, much to the frustration of senior commanders. According to the official history of the Stratfordshire's First North Staff, the commander of the C Company was informed that his counterpart in the 107th Saxons wished to speak with him in no man's land. The German officer informed him that German senior command was insisting that hostilities resume, but that he would not start firing on the British until midday. The German officer concluded by saluting, bowing at the waist, and saying, We are Saxons. You are Anglo-Saxons. Word of a gentleman is for us as it is to you. Efforts were made the following years to repeat the truce, but they were unsuccessful. One spontaneous ceasefire would have been a Christmas miracle. The dozens of ceasefires that occurred all up and down the lines is something more. It was the triumph of humanity's better angels against the brutality of war. Best elements of Christmas, that of being kind to fellow man, of forgiveness and understanding, all came out on December 24, 1914. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas.